0: Printer, and this is The Motivated Classroom. Hello, everybody. Fáil bienvenue, and welcome to The Motivated Classroom podcast. It is wonderful to be back with you all again. I have been taking a little bit of a break or trying to, but uh, it's quite difficult with so many people looking to speak about different things. I'm really excited today to be joined by Alisa Ayel and Dr. Beniko Mason. We are going to speak about story listening and language acquisition today for this special live stream video episode. If you are listening to it as a normal podcast, this was streamed as part of the CI Reboot Conference in July 2023. So before we get started, of course, this is the Motivated Classroom podcast, so we must always start with our Irish phrase for the day. So today's Irish phrase is Arash Arish, and Arash Arish in Irish means back again. So Arash means Back, to go back somewhere and Arish is again and it's a phrase we often use in Ireland, Arash Arish meaning we're back again and that is we are back again with the motivated classroom so that's exciting. So I'm going to say a very quick hello to Alice and Benico and then I'm going to have a go at introducing them and then we'll go into some of our questions and uh, I have a chat about story asking, story listening, sto- language acquisition, lots of things. So first we'll say a quick uh, hello Alice, how are you, ça va, vous allez bien
1: Oui, ça va
0: bien, merci. Hi. Excellent, excellent. Hello, lovely to see you. And Beniko, how are you doing this afternoon in Japan?
2: I am good. Very good, thank you.
0: Excellent, excellent. Lovely to hear you both. So I'm first going to introduce Beniko, and I'll have my best go at this. It's quite a, a difficult one to uh, to, to, actually do properly within the space of about 30 seconds when there are so many accolades that I could talk about. Dr. Beniko Mason is Professor Emerita at Shitennoji University Junior College in Osaka, Japan. She has been developing and conducting research on story listening and guided self-selected reading for several decades now. Her publications have appeared in many professional journals, including System, the RELC Journal, the Tesla Quarterly, ITL, Review of Applied Linguistics and many, many others. She has demonstrated her methods and presented her findings on, at professional conferences in Cambodia, China, France, Japan. Korea Laos Russia Taiwan Turkey the US it's just a huge list her published papers are available at benicomason.net and her website is story-listening.net and I will share all of this afterwards in the podcast notes so you can have access directly to these now for Alice Ayel I actually first met Alice when I went to Ajon in 2018 and Alice was actually the I guess the kind of keynote speaker she spoke to us about what she was doing with story listening and it was fantastic so I'm delighted to, to speak to her again. So Alisa Ayel has helped language learners from all over the world for 20 years. She has taught French and Spanish in middle and high schools in the UK and in Germany. And now she teaches French online to people from all over the world. She uses story listening in her French lessons. She started to make comprehensible videos online on YouTube to help learners to acquire French in the natural way. And she now has an online membership, aliceil.com, with videos, stories, audiobooks to help learners understand French with little or no effort, which is wonderful. Her goal really is to make French accessible for everyone. And she has a massive following on YouTube and online. She doesn't like to use that word massive, but it is a huge following. For those of us who have like 11 followers, she has a big following. So uh, it's lovely to speak to you both. So I guess the very first question, I think, Many people will have listened to this podcast before, and I talk a lot about language acquisition, comprehensible input, understanding messages, meaning, all of these things. But I have not spoken that much about story listening. And really, a main part of that was because I knew I was going to be speaking to two experts on it. But it is something I try and do in my own class. But I think we should first start by just saying that many people are quite familiar with story asking. But... Actually, could you tell us a little bit about what story listening is and and how it kind of began? What's the difference between story listening and story asking? So I might start with you, Benico, and then I'll pass over to Alice after that.
2: Story listening is to provide optimal input uh, as much as possible to everyone in the classroom for natural language acquisition. And we do not ask students to uh, output uh, in the classroom. Um. that's because a, uh, of, uh, the story listening is based on the theory called input hypothesis, which says a language acquisition, uh, the cause of language acquisition is input and not output. That's what it is. So,
0: How did you get started with this, Benico? Alice mentioned something yesterday about you starting with some reading with your students. Is that how it began for you?
2: I was doing a reading program called Extensive Reading. And it was working very well. It was working very well because students were reading a lot of books and the, uh, the test scores are going up. But it's not that everybody read as much as I wanted them to read because we ha- you have to read a lot of books. You know, you have to have lots of written in- input to be able to do well, to uh, acquire the language or do well on the test. And so they weren't really reading, okay. not everybody. And so um, I decided to introduce a uh, auditory input into the classroom, into the reading program, and that really worked. The reason why is when you listen to stories that they understand, listening competence goes up. uh, develops and then their vocabulary size grow, uh, you know, they start building large vocabulary size, And so when you have a a good listening competency and the large vocabulary size, it helps with reading. And when they start understanding reading and then when they start understanding listening, uh, they want to read more uh, interesting stories. And so they go to the library to look for more stories.
0: Okay, fantastic. Yeah, it's really, really interesting. Now, Alisa, I'm going to pass over to you here and I know that you're a little not nervous is the right thing, but I know when we spoke yesterday that you were like, uh, you're in the room here with the founder of Story Listening. And and I understand that that can be a little bit, you know, I'm a bit apprehensive myself speaking about it, but you are someone who uses this frequently and you use it on your videos. So what what's your understanding of what Story Listening is and how do you try and use it with your learners?
1: Well, as Benico said, it's, it gives a learner's optimal input. And that's very important. I think the keyword is optimal, which means that it's rich input. It's not only the high frequency words you use. For example, in story asking your, I I started to use it when I didn't know about story listening, and you use a lot, you try to have students acquire the high frequency words, and in story listening you also use low frequency words, words that are in books, that are found in books that are not so familiar, but it is going to help our learners to read, as, to read more books, as Benico mentioned. And I also like the fact that you use comprehensible input, but I think some teachers, or I at first got it wrong, Was Comprehensible, because I thought that students or learners had to understand every single word. And what relieved me with with Story Listening is that, no, students don't have to understand every detail, every single word in a story. They have to understand the gist of the story. And even Benico wrote in her paper, some students maybe will understand zero percent. Yeah, sometimes maybe they won't get the story or they think they got the story and maybe they didn't get it really. But that's okay because you're going to tell a story every week, uh, well, repeatedly. Yeah? You're going to tell lots of stories. So little by little, they're going to understand more and more. And they're gonna get it. Okay. And with my own children, I see it. I read aloud at the moment. I'm reading aloud to them. I'm reading aloud stories from Roald Dahl in French. But my my boy is seven years old, and I know he doesn't understand everything in the story. Yeah. But it's interesting to him. He wants to know more. And maybe he doesn't understand everything. Maybe sometimes he doesn't even understand it or he thinks he understands it. But he wants me to keep reading. And I know at some point it's going to click, maybe a word, oh yes, you, you know that feeling. When some um, suddenly or one day you understand the world.
0: Absolutely, yeah. I think it's really, really interesting exactly what you're speaking about. Now, of course, from my perspective anyway, I presume though we do want the students to try and understand. We, we That is like we would ideally, we would like them to understand even if they're not getting every single word. And I think that's a really important point you've made because I too was in that, I suppose, that little trap that I felt like in my classes, like I teach middle school and high school, different settings. We're all teaching in different settings. But the, in my classroom, I might have 20, 30 students and I do want them to understand as much as possible, but I was definitely in that trap of thinking they had to understand every single individual word. And actually that just makes it painfully, painfully slow for some people and painfully difficult actually. And trying to translate every single tiny word where sometimes it's it's okay to use some natural speech as long as it's slow and that they can start to understand bits of that. Now, how do you make these stories understandable like what do you do now just imagine people are listening to this who have never heard of this before they've never done it in class and they don't really know what we're talking about so can we break it down to them a bit what does it look like when you're doing story listening so Benico I might start with you on that what what does it look like for you what is story listening if you're saying it to someone who's never seen it in action they've never done it themselves how do you make sure it's understandable
2: I always say that story listening is not storytelling Storytelling is like uh, you are telling a story that you memorized, yeah. but story listening, it's more, it's, uh, we use a lot of different ways, strategies to make uh, uh, input comprehensible and interesting, which means that I tell a story, but I also uh, draw a picture while I'm telling a story, now that's number one. And the other one is that, you know, there are two different ways, linguistic supplementation and non-linguistic supplementation. Non-linguistic supplementation is like you draw pictures and you speak slowly, you use gestures, you use facial expression. That's exactly what other people do. But the thing is, the difference is that yeah, we use linguistic supplementation, which is we never say something like uh, once upon a time there was an old fisherman who lived by the sea you don't do this. We say something like you would describe and you explain and you would comment and you make it much longer. For example, for that sentence, I would probably say a long time ago, many, many years ago, once upon a time maybe it was 200 years ago maybe it was 300 years ago we don't know when but long time ago see we don't just say long time ago once upon a time there was a man no we say we expanded and then we say there was we don't say there was an old man we say there was a man he was 105 years old and then they would start thinking, oh, 105, it's an old man. And then you say, he was not young, he was an old man. So you use synonyms and antonyms and you start right. describing about the man. He was walking with a cane, you know, his, his, his body was bent. He had a long beard, you know, on his chin but then he didn't have any hair on his head, he was bold. And you describe the old man so that the students start imagining the man. And then you say he was, he lived by the sea. He was an old man, he lived by the sea. He was not a teacher, you know, the word that they already know. He was not a doctor, he was not a, you know, and then you say, he was a fisherman. He went to the sea and he fished every day, okay? Things like that, you don't just go and say, he was an old fisherman. No, you'd start, start uh, building up this imagination about this man and the man's background. You say he was married, his wife was uh, 95 years old, he was a happy man, but she was an unhappy woman type of thing, you know, <laughs> so start to start doing all these things. And that's not something that's not written exactly like that in the story. but. When the story develops, you find out that the woman is not a happy woman. And so you start inserting all those things so that they will be ready to understand the uh, the following uh, scenes type of thing.
0: That's so nice. Like, that is really so nice. And I mean, listening to you, Benico, I want to be in your class. Oh, like, that's so you. lovely. Yeah. I just I love the way you're starting that story. It's so rich. That's right. the word that you used exactly. in Optimal Input. It's yeah, so rich. Yeah, that's
2: exactly. That's what I'm going to say. The Reason why we say it's rich input, Alice is correct. You know, we use low frequency words, but the rich does not mean low frequency words or difficult words. Rich means we def- provide lots of lots of uh, words that they already know, and also the words that they see. The thing that is, yes, we may think that they these words are easy words and they already know, but they there may be some students who may not know these words, yeah. and therefore we just like this is called the net hypothesis. We throw a wide net of language to the students so that they can pick up anything that they, want, they are ready to pick up. You know, we're not gonna have this agenda of teaching these words from t- uh, telling this story. That's the wrong way of doing it because in the traditional way, is like uh, we want to teach these words. We want to teach this vocab- uh, uh, this structure and then you fit the story into those words and structure. That's not what we do, we just Throw away, you know, the large net so that the students will be able to pick up anything and everything that they're ready to acquire. Okay. Therefore, it could be a word. It could be a spelling. It could be a pronunciation. It could be anything. Intonation it could be anything.
0: No, that's wonderful. Yeah, that's that's really good. You've done a great job of, of talking about it. And I love the way you explain that. Just, yeah, many stories would start, as you say, there was an old man he went to this place but that description of the old man making it so much richer it just makes it so much better and yeah the students are getting and they're getting a lot of natural speech there the way that you would talk about an old man oh he had a cane and a long beard and yeah that was lovely now one thing that you did mention there about like he has a cane and a beard for example and I've seen Alice you doing this quite a lot Alice could you maybe talk to us a little bit about how you use drawing and your hand and a board to make it understandable because I think that a, a very key point for me anyway when I try and do this in class.
1: Yeah, drawing is very important, I think. And I know I, I myself at first was reluctant to draw because I'm not, I thought, well, I think I'm not good at drawing and I was scared of drawing. But you have to draw. It's very important. It's also lowers the filter mm, uh, because you um, maybe if you're not that good, your students see it, yeah. they see you're not perfect. <laughs> and between, with your students it creates a link, um, it creates uh, something unique. When you draw, yeah, you can describe also as you draw. First of all, it slows you down as you're drawing so you maybe you started to tell a story Mm -hmm. as Benico said and it slows you down you're not telling a story you're describing as well you're giving abundant input a great deal of rich input and as you draw you can also describe and you can draw the beard as well as you describe it oh it's a long beard and as you're drawing you are also describing and it's really helpful for learners than to understand the story. and my I know my learners, they're also intrigued by my drawing. yeah <laughs> they 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 want to know more. They want to see me drawing and they want to it gets them more interesting even in the story
0: absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more at least it's it's so true. and and I certainly when I try and do this in class, I am, um, nervous about how bad my drawings are and how not understandable they're going to be. But it it, it does create this fun connection with my kids. You know, we have a laugh yes. about it. I draw what I think is a horse and they are like, is that a horse? And I'm like, yeah. And we just have fun, you know. They, we end up laughing and joking about it. And exactly that. They they see the human side of me. It builds relationships. It slows us down. And, and it just gets me speaking more and giving more. It's like, yeah, it's a horse. Look, it's got a long nose. And, and it's got these ears. And this is its mane. It's a horse. And they're like, oh, oh, I, th- I thought it was a dog. And you're like, okay. So that's really nice, actually. Now, Alice, I'm going to speak to you at the next question and then go back over to Benico. The next question is to do with some of the research and evidence base behind this approach. Now, I know Benico can definitely inform us a lot about this. But one of the things, Alice, that I thought was really interesting when I met you first in Ajon, you told us about a class where you got, you had to teach and you kind of got thrown in at the deep end. It was like, right, you've got six months with these students or a year with these students. Some of them at really, really different levels. And, and if I remember correctly, you just kind of said, well, I'm just going to do story listening. And it ended up working quite well. Would, would you mind talking to us a little bit about that? I think that was really quite powerful for me when I heard it the first time.
1: Yeah, I was teaching Spanish at an international school like you do and I had to prepare them for their final exam, which is the IB exam in Spanish. And actually the IB exam involves the speaking part, so output. And uh, they, I, I just had like yeah, four months with them to, to prepare them because they didn't have a teacher at that time. So I tried story listening every, every lesson We didn't have many lessons together, we just met twice a week. So twice a week, uh, I would tell them a story, a story listening, and then I would ask them to write in their native language uh, the summary of the story, well, after uh, my story listening on the board. And um, at the end, they got amazing results, they all passed and um i mean just before the end we prepared a bit for the the speaking exam because they had to know how it would, was going to go of
2: but course i didn't
1: course. really practice speaking during the whole um during all the months i i told them so i it was and they really loved it they really loved the fact that for once They could sit down, just listen and enjoy a story because it was a stressful time for them. It was their final year. They had exams everywhere. And in my lesson, they could just sit down. It was really low affective filter. And that's what we're we're looking for too in language acquisition. They They are relaxed and absolutely um, at first they were writing in in their native language the summary but little by little some of them they started to write in spanish and little by little some of them they would write the whole summary in spanish using the words in the story and i could see the progression and it really helped them also for the writing part so the output so it really proves the point that input leads to output and not the other way around.
0: (laughs) I just thought it was just a great way to, almost like a mini case study without you realizing that you were part of the case study, but you were like, well... I've only got four months. This is what I'm going to do and and we'll see how it goes. And and it worked and it was great. And the students picked up lots of stuff naturally. They, as you say, I, I work in a, in a school where we do the International Baccalaureate. It's a wonderful programme, but it is very high stakes with a lot of pressure, a lot of exams, a lot of internal assessments. And yeah, when I do story listening or story asking in my class, the students love it because exactly as you say, it's like a moment to go, oh, I can just listen and be part of this and then just enjoy it and not have to worry about getting everything right and the next test and the next exam and the next thing. And I think it's a really beautiful summary of how effective story listening can be when it's done right and when we allow students the time required to acquire those structures naturally and also... The fact that they were then able to write these summaries in their own mother tongue is very powerful as well. That's a wonderful piece of translanguaging and respecting the home languages that you have in that room. That's that's really nice.
1: I just forgot to mention that the, the, we had two hours. So then when we had finished story listening, I asked them to read also because it's the second part of the method, reading. So they were also reading, I, we, they had to select books. I mean, I helped them at first to select books. Some of them got really easy, started with really easy books in Spanish, but little by little, they started to read more and more. And reading is really important also. Yeah,
0: I couldn't agree more. To acquire
1: the language. And for their exams, it helped them.
0: And in the exam, there is a reading component. You know, they, they have to read and be able to understand things. So that's that's a really important point as well. So yeah, oh, thank you so much. That's uh, really nice. Benico, I'm going to pass over to you on this then. Could you tell us a little bit about some of the research or evidence base behind using this approach of story listening, which you are the founder of? There
2: are many of them. But I could say, I just found out, I think I wrote that uh, in the handout that I gave you too, but um, I just found out there is this publication uh, by by Oxford University Press. They uh, they explained how many hours students must study in the traditional way to to, uh, do well on the TOEIC test, which is the English test a uh, standardized test, not like TOEFL, but TOEIC test. And uh, they said something like, uh, for the students whose TOEIC score is between 450 and 650, or for the students who are whose score is 450, to gain 200 points, uh, the, with the study program, they have to s- spend about 500 hours or something like that. <sighs> okay. But then my students spend only half the, half the time To gain 200 points uh, from reading and listening. Because when you listen to stories like Alice and I do uh, with the comprehension aiding supplementation, they receive optimal input, which is, uh, I repeat, comprehensible, compelling, rich, and abundant input. Not just comprehensible input, because comprehensible input just because something is comprehensible input that's uh, that's not good enough input so when the students listen to stories in a story listening way and they like uh, like just like Alice um explained when the students start reading from easy books and gradually you know guided to a, a higher level books and then every time when they uh, 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 experience success and pleasure from listening and reading and then uh, they uh, they start reading more, like I said. Um, when they do this, you know, you don't even have to go to the uh, uh, the, uh, the target country to learn the language because even when you go to another country. I mean, the English, for the Japanese people, for, to the English-speaking country, when they do not receive optimal input, they do not uh, acquire the language. But when they, uh, even when they are in the home country, and when they read books and listen to stories, they uh, progress much faster and uh, much better uh, on the, even on the test too. And so those are the uh, uh, results that I have received from different studies.
0: Excellent. Yeah, thank you so much. And that's Benico's kindly prepared uh, handout with some of the key research around this and some of the the ways to do optimal input. And that will be shared with everybody as well. I will put that on the programme notes of the podcast. So one of the things that I get asked quite a lot by other teachers when I talk to them about this Um, and it is difficult for teachers to break down their mindset that language is learned in this particular way and if I just give them stories is that enough etc. It takes a long time to try and break some of those moles because we were taught in a certain way. So one of the things people ask me is what kind of other activities do you do alongside story listening in order to kind of do formative assessment or check that the students are making progress or are understanding. Like, Alice, maybe if I start with you on this one, what, what do you do anything along with that to, to kind of check that students are understanding or do you just trust the process or how does it work?
1: I trust the process. Uh, but it. I understand it is difficult for a teacher because we have this mindset of having to, we have to, give students activities to do. They have to do something. Yeah, and they can't sit there and just listen. no, they have to to, to do to fill in the blanks, to do things yeah. to. So I, I was like that too. Um, and also when I started when I uh, had this class at first I was like, oh no, how do I know they understood the story? How do I know, know they're gonna be ready? For the test, for the exam, I was a bit worried too. So I completely understand it's worrying. But really, story listening and reading are enough. Exactly. Input alone is sufficient. It's enough. And you don't have to reinvent the wheel and do other, create exercises. It's a lot of work for you. And it puts pressure on the students. It stresses them out. It higher the, it raises the affective filter. Sorry, if your students, if you have more time in your lesson, then make then have them read. Have them read if uh, if they are ready for it.
0: Can I ask you, Alice, when when you had that class for the international baccalaureate and you were doing mainly story listening with them for those four months. Did you ever have when they did the writing, did you ever look at some of the writing before the exams or did you just not have time to do that? Because I know you were very constrained with your time. So did you have them write anything that you checked or that you kind of gave them feedback on?
1: Uh, they had to write the summary of the story and when they started writing in Spanish, I had a look but I would not correct. I would just uh, I would say, oh, it's great, uh, well done. I would always be positive. It's amazing. And, it's amazing. Um, but I will not check like that. And at, just before the end, of course, I gave them sample papers. So they yeah, knew what yeah. was coming up. Yeah. But that's it. And even with my adults now, uh, story listening is the main part, yeah, is the superfood, as uh, Megan Hayes said, a Spanish teacher in the US. It's the superfood of language acquisition and of the Stephen Krashen's hypothesis. So just give them give them the superfood. They need it.
0: <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. I love that, Beniko. I'm going to pass over to you on that one. In the setting where you teach at, at a university level, and when and the research that you've done, what do you do by way of assessment or formative assessment or understanding checks?
2: Yeah, I want to say story listening is not just for uh, little kids or for a little uh, for the starters. Story listening can be done all the way to a higher intermediate, and so. Uh, my students and you know, there are uh, different levels of my students and so uh, uh, you can start you know you, it's not always the uh, three little pigs but you can always do a very complicated long stories uh, that, that might last 40 60 minutes and so i hope the uh, people who are listening to this Don't think that story listening is just for kindergarten kids or the starter-level people. It's all the way to the uh, high-level students. But anyway, what I do is that, like Alice said, I have my students write a summary of the story in Japanese, in in Japan, yeah? Japanese, not in English. And then, like she said, you know, gradually when the students become more proficient, they start writing in English. And when I read it, I understand what I did wrong when people start misunderstanding the story and therefore that was a feedback to me to be able to do better the next time the summary writing for for them is not just to evaluate them that's a that's another thing that i need to point out because when you start evaluating students that raises affective filter and you know it's not a good idea to monitor students all the time for evaluation there is a difference between monitoring and observ- observation. Observation, there are two two ways to observe. To get feedback from them, to guide them is a kind of a b- observation. And another observation is to evaluate them and grade them. Okay, so what I do in the story listening program is I I, I observe my students by having them write a summary but then also and that will be this uh, a formative evaluation from the beginning to the end of the semester. I collect them and I do not give them back. I will have, have them in a folder. For each student, and I will see the progress from the first time to the last time. That will help me to uh, uh, do the uh, final evaluation also. But anyway, I have them write it in Japanese, and there are two three, two two purposes for me to get evaluate, uh, for me to get feedback for the next lesson. And if they didn't understand and, and find out where they didn't understand, and then there is maybe that was my fault. Maybe I have I have forgotten to say something very important because. You know, when the story gets long, you know, sometimes I forget to say a certain word or a certain phrase or certain thing. And therefore, that's the reason why I have a thing called a prompter to guide me to tell the story, you know, in a way that, I, that should be uh, told and safely to the end. That's the uh, evaluation that I do. And at the end of the semester, I give the same same test, I give a long gun story which is which they don't know anything about and have them write a summary of it in Japanese and then I know how well they have uh, uh, improved from the beginning to the end.
0: And just something we haven't clarified yet that it would be quite good to clarify, for someone who's listening to this right now and they're going, this sounds really interesting. I'd like to give this a go. I think I'd like to start out with this. Do you recommend starting out with, with well-known folklore and fairy tales, like stories that are already known, like Cinderella or Little Red Riding Hood? Is that a recommendation or do you start with any story?
2: You can do both. You can do a, an unknown story, a short story, but very predictable one. Predictable story. You know the students can, can predict I'm sure the story's going this way, that way, you know? Those the predictors. And also it's a good idea to tell a, a, a story that they already know. But then uh, they, the story, the way how you deliver the story may not be exactly the same way as they they have read or they have heard. And so uh, you can start adding, you know, different things. When you tell the three little pigs, you can start t- telling them, you know, this pig had the red shirt and the yellow shirt, blue shirt type of thing. You can do a lot of different things with a, a, a well-known story. So, so both are fine, but it should be short at the beginning. Short, simple.
0: Alice, what do you think about that? When you're starting off with your adults and if they're, if they're very much beginners, do you, do you start with a story that they may already know?
1: Yes, I, I start, as Benico said, with predictable stories and with stories that have uh, repetitions, not in the repetitions, you mean three times the same thing happens. Uh, that's what I mean by repetitions. So it's easier. Natural repetition.
0: (laughs) Okay, that's really yeah. No, that's really really. I just wanted to yeah clarify that for the listeners. I think that's kind of important as well. Um, And I just want to clarify one other thing as well. Beniko, your first language is it is it Japanese or English?
2: Japanese.
0: And Alice, your first language is French, right? Yeah. I mean, can we all just give them a little clap? They're doing this whole podcast interview in a second or third language. It's incredibly impressive. Well done, both of you. I do not know if I could do this in Spanish or French. So it's really amazing to see two people who have acquired English in such a strong way and come on a podcast. I think anyone who's listening to this right now, give them a little clap at home, please, because it's incredibly impressive.
2: You know, story listening helps teachers become better in, in in the language also, because you read lots and lots of stories to look for the good ones for the teacher students and then you prepare and rehearse and you go and tell the story and therefore you also you know become a a develop the vocabulary so it is win and win situation students get better and the teachers get better and so
0: that's such a good point
2: yeah and also the non-native speaker teachers is probably a good story listening teacher because, like I said earlier, you know, I don't know if I can do story listening in Japanese because I don't know what the students don't understand. But I know what the students don't understand because I have gone through the same process with my students, like my students are doing.
0: Yeah, that's a really, really good point. That is something that we've spoken about on this podcast before. Um, I'm a non-native Spanish teacher and we have many others who listen to this who are teachers of other languages that they are not native of and the importance of making sure our level stays high and that we can provide that rich, comprehensible input. And that's that's a great, great point. So thank you for that. I guess, Alice, you've kind of answered this already, but I'm going to pose the question to you anyway and see what you would say. Just those teachers who, you know, I work in a school with many, many language teachers who have come from all different backgrounds. And what do I say to them if they say, but, but Liam, listening is not enough. Like, they've got to do much more than that. Like, what, what do you say to those teachers?
1: Well, first of all, do they know the difference between between learning and acquisition? Yeah, language acquisition is not language learning. So then I asked them maybe if they have children. (laughs) Did they, uh, their children at first they didn't speak. And I don't think they forced their children to speak. So it's the same, the same process. And you have to trust the process, trust the process. And I know it's difficult to trust. But you have to, I think the key, yeah, the key sentence is really to trust the process. Listening, I mean, input is enough. It lead, it's the cause of speaking, of output. So you, you have to also, your students, if you force them to speak, they're going to be stressed out. And you don't want them to be stressed out, you want them to be relaxed in order to acquire the language. Having them to speak when they are not ready to speak is not going to work. So it's going to come. You have to trust the process and they will start to speak naturally, spontaneously when they are ready to. And some are take a longer time. Some students, some students, they want to speak straight away. Okay, that's fine. But you have to uh, let them and to respect their own, their uniqueness. Yeah, we are all different and unique.
0: Yeah, that's really nice. Thank you very much. I think that's that's definitely the way to go about it, isn't it? And yeah, it is that thing. Often teachers, we've been trained in a certain way. We've been taught that this is how things work. But a lot of that has come from just a set of beliefs that hasn't got much evidence base uh, and it's really important to kind of look at that evidence so Benico I'll, I'll pass over to you on that one you know do you come across colleagues who, who really question this or other researchers who say but listening is not enough and, and how do you have conversations with them to, to try and break that down
2: yeah I agree with everything what Alice said and you know a lot of people say we are CI teachers you know we, are, we, we believe in comprehensible input but if they say, oh, but listening alone is not enough, they are not CI teachers.
0: And then I guess I'd like to, to finish and, and pull it all together with this last question that I think both of you have kind of answered already. But I, I know as other teachers I've worked with right now are, are thinking these questions or are, are asking me to ask it on their behalf. So do you encourage your students to engage with output activities or... Is that just a byproduct that happens naturally? And if it happens, it happens, and if it doesn't, it doesn't. But is there any with story listening? Is there any encouragement to to now output? You've talked both about writing a summary of the story, but is there anything else? So, Beniko, I'll start with you on that one.
2: Yeah, writing in writing summary, but not in English, in the second language. It's in this full, uh, the uh, first language, and do I encourage? Uh, no, uh, uh, if they want to, uh, like Dr. Krashen says, we don't forbid, you know, don't, we don't ban this if they want to talk. But then in the classroom, what they get is a optimal input.
0: Yeah, that's a great answer. Alice, over to you on that one.
2: Yeah, the
1: same. I don't really have anything to add. It's that you don't, of course, if they start to speak uh, uh, in the in the target language, uh, you're gonna say great. I mean, you're not gonna say, oh no, you started to speak. No, you, if they don't want to speak, that's fine. They, and yeah, you, they start writing the summary in their native language, not in the, in the target language straight away. Maybe some of them will then move on to write in the target language, may some of them won't that's okay. You're not going to force them to then at some point write in the target language.
0: Yeah, and I've, I've noticed that with my students as well. It's really interesting my beginner students when there is whatever activity we're doing and I say something about can you, you know, uh, write a little summary about what we've just done or this picture or this movie or whatever and you can use your own language or you can mix in some Spanish too. Some of them are just naturally mixing in Spanish or they find it almost easier because they've just heard me talk about it in Spanish. So they almost find it easier to just write it in Spanish. And then it's like, yeah, great, wonderful. You're already writing it in Spanish. And one thing, like I, I would certainly consider myself a novice with story listening for sure. It's something that I want to do a lot more of and it's something that I do when I... I'm having a week where I want the students to get lots of optimal input and and almost have like a week when we're not doing too much and it's really nice for that. But I definitely want to do more of it. But one place I do it a lot is I'm now delivering lessons to illiterate adults once a week in a refugee centre in the evening. And of course, I can't really do a lot of the things I would normally do and I can't get them to write. I can't really get them to read yet. They're kind of reading words, individual words, but not really. So essentially, I'm just story listening with them all the time and and getting them involved a little bit now and again, just, uh, you know, asking them little questions and things and they can like draw it or they can show some understanding that way. But a lot of listening, like loads of just telling stories, telling them about my life, using pictures, like pictures of my dog and telling them about a story that happened to my dog, for example. And the big thing I see difference is, one, they're getting lots of this input and they're, they're definitely starting to output naturally. But two, they're enjoying it. They're just smiling and, and happy and they feel relaxed and they're under a lot of pressure and, and they've come from awful situations and they're dealing with it so much in their life. And right now it's just a just go to this French class for an hour and I just listen and smile and he's going to tell me a funny story and that's all I need to do. And and it is really quite, quite powerful with that so... I think we'll, we'll bring it all together there. I want to say a huge thank you to both of you. Merci beaucoup, Alice. Thank you so much, Benico. It's been an absolute pleasure and a privilege to speak to you both.
1: Goodbye. Thank you, thank you.
0: So, uh, a huge thank you to you both. A little bit of reminder of the Irish word for today was arash arish, meaning back again. Here we go again, arash arish. So, with that, I'll say a huge thank you, Garamila Mahaguev, as we say in Irish. Thank you to all the listeners. Thank you to all the podcast patrons. We really appreciate it. Thank you to CI Reboot for inviting us. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure, Garamila Mahaguev. Agus sláinte! The Motivated Classroom Podcast is an original production by Liam Printer. I'm at Liam Printer on Twitter, and my YouTube channel is Liam Printer, The Motivated Classroom. Full podcast notes with links to resources are available on my website, liamprinter.com. For more, find and follow The Motivated Classroom podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Graphics and music are provided by Paul Mahan. Intro clips are thanks to the wonderful multilingual staff at the International School of Lausanne.